Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You're done with your Oreo? Yeah, <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do we really know what happened? Really the brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm stupid. Murdery thingy thingy thingy. I wanted you to start recording. Wait, wait, just let me burp for just a second, because I just told you you shouldn't. Ew. <laughs> Most people don't like that. That's what I was just saying. I was saying, well, people, there's some people out there, out there who are like super into it. True. ASMR type people. Like, wait, I have one. Hold on, oh, wait. No. Oh, oh, opening a candy. It's a bit of a strange sound. I like it. And I think it because it's me, it means sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the ASMR podcast, Mystery Murder. Yep, we're in an ASMR <laughs> podcast. We're now an ASMR podcast. <laughs> About mysteries. And, and murderies. Thingies. And, and, and thingies. Uh, ASMR. I think both of us have murderies today. It's true. Well... Oh, well, yeah, yours is definitely murderies. You said it might be a serial killer or not, but definitely, a, definitely lots murder. of murder, right? That yeah. would strongly imply. Fucked up. Super fucked up, yeah. Dude, should we should we have, like, a psychology episode where we, like, expand on, like, because I feel like that's my whole thing about true crime is, like, the why. Yeah. There's sort of, like, a, a meta mystery of, like, why do people do these crazy, like, terrible things? Yeah. Like, why why would anyone kill another person or, do like, do any of this? Like, what's going on in someone's head? Right. Like, that's sort of a mystery. What does it take? I, I think that's why I like the snapped ones because then you're like, oh, shit. Could this happen to any of us? Isn't that a show? Snapped. Yes. I love it snapped. <laughs> but I feel like – I feel like it's a lot of, like – Let's portray this woman as stereotypical and jealous and manipulating. When you like read more about it, and it was, it was a little not, more nuanced. Than it, that. Was, it was, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, wasn't quite that way. Sure, 
as it is on the half hour show on ID Channel. Yeah. <laughs> it's on ID Channel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Who should go first cool, cool, cool. Uh, this week? I don't know. I don't really have a Oh, preference. by the way, thanks for uh, waiting a day for us, y'all. Oh. <laughs> no, it's funny. I actually, God. I was like telling Bridget about it earlier, my, my brother's uh, fiance, Bridget. And I was like, yeah, we're like kind of late. So we kind of feel bad. And then I was like, yeah, because. You know, Chloe's got, like, a ton of stuff. She's getting to the end of the semester, and, like, her show opens today, and my show opens today. And then I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's why, because we're super busy. So, hey. Super busy. We do lots of theater and stuff, so. (laughs) Literally, this past week has been, like, no, I don't have time to nap. That's how I know when I'm busy. That's fucking serious. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is for me. (laughs) Y'all think think I'm kidding? I'm not. (laughs) I mean, you do have a shirt that says Queen of Naps. I do. For a reason. So if you don't claim it, I'm just going to go first because, you know, that's my whole thing. So I am doing a uh, Unsolved Killing. And I I do have to give another shout out, as always do, to the list of Unsolved Deaths Wikipedia page because it's like my favorite Wikipedia page. Um, (laughs) Which is weird, but, you know, you, 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 you know why. You know why. Um, so anyway, this is the death of Henry Weston Smith. And uh, Henry Weston Smith um, grew up in prebellum Connecticut, so be- be- just before the Civil War. He was born in uh, January of 1827, and uh, when he had attained the ripe old age of 20, um, in 1847, mm. he had already gotten married, had a kid, and both of them had died. So oh lots of God. tragedy in this guy's uh, life at a, at a very young age. And uh, despite or maybe, you know, because of that, you know, all that tragedy, uh, Henry became a, a preacher as well um, over the course of the next three years in the Methodist uh, faith. Um, and then so t- time goes by, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we get to 1858. And uh, by this time, Henry's remarried. Um, he, he's, uh, uh, has four kids, uh, we're on his way to having four kids at least. Um, and eventually he moves to Massachusetts and joins the Union Army, um, in the 52nd, uh, infantry during the American Civil War, which, uh, funnily enough, cause I'm super nerdy, I've, I've been reading American historical documents, uh, Harvard Classics book, and I oh, just read this, God. uh, Long, no brag, no, no brag. Uh, humble brag, humble brag. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I almost read it all the way through from cover to cover. Uh, it's good read, but but part of it was the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, and it was this like narrative account of it from a guy who was like a colonel in the Battle of Gettysburg, um, which was like the the you know seminal battle at the end of the Civil War, right, just before the end of the most of the fighting. So anyway. Um, I just thought that was kind of funny. I'm in this like uh, Civil War mood, I guess. I'm not sure, but um, he he makes it through. You know where obviously a lot of our our countrymen and, and women died, um, and decides. You know he's he's sort of taken on in these challenges, right? Gone through all this shit in his life, and uh, becomes a doctor. Um, so he he's he's not. I don't know. It's like, I I I just like to kind of explore these people, right? We we tell like these stories and stuff about. He seemed like kind of the kind of person who met adversity, and it just like made him go more. What do you he, mean? Like, what he, does that mean? Met adversity. Met adversity, like uh, his um, wife and child dying. You know, being in the Civil War, mm. like the the Civil War itself, like his country is rending itself apart, right? But. Um, he he seemed to have just like taken on the next challenge, and this just made him like 
more want want to take on the next challenge more and like uh i guess for him part of that was looking towards the west right which was kind of a thing at that time right um and the the west in this instance being south dakota uh where there was like this huge gold rush at that time in the black hills and um he henry decides to go out there and become the first preacher in the black hills right no one's ever done this He's like, so I'm going to do it. It's not like anyone from the Methodist church was like, hey, can you go, like, be the preacher for over there where, like, over all these there. people are, you know, <laughs> and we've never been there. He's like, no, I'm going to do this. Take it upon myself. So, um, yeah, he uh, walked there next to a wagon train from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Because that's what you do in those times. Exactly. Sign of the times. And uh, very zeitgeisty for, for uh, mid-19th century Western America. And he uh, reportedly offered to give the uh, wagon owner $5 for letting him kind of come along with his, his wagon train, right? But the guy said, no, that's okay. Like, he knew he was going out there to be a preacher. He really appreciated that. He was like, no, I want to support your cause. You don't have to pay me anything. Just let him come along. Oh, wow. And... Um, Henry was, uh, he just started, immediately started preaching, right? Because that's, like, what he was there to do. You know, he was, like, on his, literally on his mission. And uh, he started this on May 7th, 1876 in Custer City. Custer City. Custer City. South Dakota, I assume. Uh, or maybe it's Wyoming, I'm not sure. Uh, so he uh, did his first service there to 30 men and five women. And um, he then quickly kind of moved on a little bit to Deadwood, uh, which, of course, the famous, you know, Deadwood, the HBO series about it, all that stuff. I'll mention that towards the end. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's that's, like, where he was partly from. Or I think he, he lived there or just outside of town. So anyway, he kind of installed himself there as a literal street preacher. Like, the, you know, few dirt streets that they had in, you know, uh, Deadwood at that time. He would literally just stand stand in front of a shop or on a street corner and just start preaching. I mean, there's a long tradition of this, right? Going back thousands of years. And he was definitely part of it. Well, the other day when I was walking outside Watterson, uh-huh. there was a guy with a microphone uh, preaching ex- the Bible. <laughs> exactly. A, a couple episodes ago, I did, uh, you know, about uh, Allah, you know, Charles 13X. He was a street preacher. His his whole ministry was on the street, you know. So it's it's a recurrent idea, which which is interesting. Um, and uh, Henry was like, I mean, this was his thing, right? He was there to like take it to the people. Um, you know, he he I'm sure saw himself as some kind of like you know biblical type figure, uh, which I think is is interesting. Um, okay, so here here's a I'm going to do a few quotes in this episode as I, I told you earlier. Well, as a preacher. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do him in my best preacher voice. Not that voice. you're a preacher, a, but the guy we're talking about is yes, a preacher. Yes, that's his whole thing. So here's a quote from a Mr. Captain Gardner or something. Quote, he preached frequently in Deadwood, generally in front of Benton Dr- and Deetkin's drugstore or in front of my store. In those days, the town had 3,000 to 4,000 uh, people located mostly on one street, and he had no trouble in securing an audience. He was a man about six feet tall with a fine physique, and I should say 40 years old. He was very quiet and unassuming in manner. I know nothing of his past life, as he never volunteered to tell me, and it was not wise in those days to inquire too closely into a man's antecedents. Close quote. (laughs) 
which I love the end of that quote. It's just like, that's a sign of the times, late 19th century Western America. Like, we mind our business. Yeah. Uh, oh, you might have like killed a bunch of people, you know, in the East and just ran out here. Well, I probably shouldn't ask you about that, <laughs> you know, just in case. Just in case. Is that uh, Red Dead Redemption? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it definitely could be. Um, so uh, other people things. had, right? Uh, I'm cool. Um, so uh, other people had a slightly different view, right, as people always do, of, of Henry. Other people thought he was just, you know, kind of a bit of an oddball. Um, they would listen to him, you know, kind of give the courtesy, but kind of half-heartedly, out of a sense of, like, you know, decorum. But, you know, mm. they didn't really care, apparently. Some people were, but other people were, like, super into it. So, hey, you know, uh, to each his or her own, uh, as I am wont to say. I've never said that before. So, um, <laughs> he, he also, you know, he couldn't just, like, make his living preaching, right? He had to, like, do something, right? So he became a prospector, as one did in the Black Hills, right? At that time, like I said, it was yep. a gold rush. That's why all the fucking people were there. Um, and he took some odd jobs as well. Uh, just kind of a uh, handyman around town. So here's a quote from a local merchant named John McClintock. Quote, in the years past, I have noted in the press many statements regarding incidents connected with the man known as Preacher Smith. Most of them are pure romance. How he used to go into the saloons and pray are pure fiction. I never saw him in a saloon, and I am sure he never was. He preached frequently in Deadwood, generally in front of Bent and Deatkin's drugstore, or in front of my store. In those days, oh, that's and this is the rest of it that I already read. So, um... This didn't go on, though, tragically. I mean, this is why I'm talking about him, right? For too long. Um, he, he had his ministry there. He preached on the street. But it, it came to an untimely end in not too long of a time, unfortunately. Um, so the morning of Sunday, August 20th, 1876. So August 20th, he, hasn't, he really hasn't been there very long. Not even a year. Mm. Um, Henry nails a note to his door, um prophetically stating, quote, gone to Crook City to preach, and if God is willing, we'll be back at three o'clock, close quote. God is willing. If God is willing. Mm. You know, it's it's sort of ominous, right, uh, in, uh, in hindsight. Um, so when Henry didn't show back at three o'clock, right, at the appointed time, his friends and, you know, the, uh, and, and people who knew him became, started to become worried. Um, and even more so because they were very keenly aware of just how dangerous the highways were in this place at that time. And they were very dangerous. There were highwaymen, uh, literal just robbers out there who would take your shit at the point of a gun because there's no law anywhere in sight for a long ass time. Is it bad that I'm like the only thing I'm picturing is like old West movies and shit. <laughs> right. And yeah, I mean, that's what you have to think of, but uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously a big difference between movies and like, real how life, accurate but... is that? Right. Right. <laughs> Most cowboys were black. <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of cowboys, there were probably more cowboys in Wyoming than there ever were in Texas. So, you know, mm. that's how these things go too. Hollywood. Hollywood. So, um, they, his, Henry's friends had, had told him about this, right? Like, hey, don't go out there. Like, you're gonna die. Like, take a gun. Like, take people with you. Like, come on, Henry. It's fucking dangerous. Um, and what he said was, quote, the Bible is my protection. It has never failed me yet. 
close quote. Well, you know, I mean, a a a plus for devotion and and faith, but maybe you probably should have just brought someone with you with the gun. I mean, like, you know, I mean, not every preacher was out there walking by themselves. You yeah. Know? It's like, but I, but I, but, but I, I, I respect his, his, you know, he didn't think anything would happen. You know, he thought everyone was good, I guess. It, unfortunately, not that way. Um, so whomever it was that, you know, Henry met that day when he was walking from Deadwood to, to, um, the other place, whatever it's called. Um, you know, it it didn't work out very well. So uh, okay, what happened? His body was he was he was shot. He was shot through the heart. He died immediately. Apparently, he was shot once through the heart, huh. which is kind of crazy. Um, and his body was found soon after by a local along the road. The exact location where he was killed remains a mystery. No one really knows exactly where it happened. Um, there the were reportedly no signs of a robbery. You know, just to, to put that out mm. there. And uh, here's kind of a letter, a little letter, uh, describing the situation written by Seth Bullock to one of Henry's friends from out east. Oh, okay. Uh, quote, It becomes my painful duty to inform you that Reverend H. Weston Smith was killed by Indians yesterday, Sunday, a short distance from this place. He had an appointment to preach here in the afternoon and was on his way from Crook City when a band of Indians overtook him and shot him. His body was not mutilated in any way and was found in the road a short time after the hellish deed had been done. His death was instantaneous as he was shot through the heart. His funeral occurred today from his home in this town. Everything was done by kind hands that was possible under the circumstances and a Christian burial given him. I was not personally acquainted with Mr. Smith, but knew him by reputation as an earnest worker in his master's vineyard. He has preached here on several occasions and was the only minister in the hills. He died in the harness, and his memory will be always with those who knew him. A letter from you which I found in his home causes me to convey this sad intelligence to you. Close quote. I don't know how to react to that. It's, well, okay, so let's talk talk about the quote-unquote the Indians thing. So, um... Many people at that time, and many people all the way up until today, have simply assumed that he was killed by Native Americans, whereas there is no evidence of that. There's no evidence at all of anything. Yeah, that's why I was like... (laughs) So it's like, that's just an assumption. But it it, it was such an implicit assumption at the time that everyone, everyone just said it as if it were a fact. Oh, um, and that's where that's kind of coming from in 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 that letter. Um, it, it was literally just taken as you know given that it was Native Americans, but there's there's just no evidence of that at all. Um, that now I do have to say, of course, that the the Native people in that area and the people who were coming in obviously clashed. There were you know I mean there was a wars fought you know in the, in that area between Native Americans and, and the and Americans over many, many years. So it's not as if there weren't violence on both sides uh, of the of the conflict. It's just that in this particular instance, there's just yeah, nothing we there. Don't, we don't know. Yeah, so why would you assume that? It just seems kind of crazy in hindsight, but, it, it, but a lot of people still do. And the stuff, some of my research, it still just says it as if it were fact. So who knows? But anyway... Um, there was another theory as well as to whom, you know, who who could have done this. 
um, other people pointed out that, you know, Henry, you know, he had a nascent but, you know, growing, burgeoning ministry that had apparently attracted the ire of some local uh, vice peddlers, one might say. What are vice peddlers? Uh, prostitution rings, oh, gambling, okay. alcohol, vices, sins, things that oh. Henry Weston Smith would not have approved of and would have been actively encouraging people to stop doing. The outlaws. In other words, stop spending money at their businesses. Hanging at the saloons. Right. There would be fewer of them. Um, and these sinful businessmen This were, town you know, ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, so anyway, that, that theory is pretty plausible as well, I think, as, as far as, again, the no evidence of this thing goes. Like, we have no idea. But I think that also could have been it, for sure. Um, could also have just been a robbery gone wrong, but they just didn't take anything. I mean, who knows, right? Or it could have just been somebody who just wanted to murder someone. It, because that happened all, all the time back then. It seems like a murder, like a straight up murder. Maybe it was an opportunity murder. And that's what I thought. But it was too. so clean. Like, that's weird. I know, just the one shot through the heart seems really weird, too. So, yeah, we'll, we'll never really know because, of course, there was no investigation, there was no law enforcement, there was, no, there was you know, accounts of what happened that we have. Um, and, of course, we also have the, the legacy of, of Henry Weston Smith, right? He's lived on in um, popular culture, like I mentioned at the outset. Um, there is a version of Henry that is in the HBO show Deadwood, apparently it bears little resemblance to the historical figure, mm. especially in the way that he died. Um, apparently, I, I've never seen the show, but that's what I read. It's, like, completely different. Um, and a uh, monument was also placed along the highway, approximately where Henry died, as well as a life-size statue of him that was placed by his grave. Um, and there have been intermittent sort of memorials over the many, many years since then. Um, up until recently, actually, um, because he, he it's interesting, he, he, he's sort of a big figure in that area or for Methodist people who are interested in the West or um, among a certain set of people, he's like a big figure. He's even seen as a martyr among a lot of uh, Methodists, apparently, or some people, I guess. That I read that somewhere in one of my sources. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's the, the death of Henry Weston Smith. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay. So my sources, um, Wikipedia, of course, the Henry Weston Smith page, um, a page on the Rapid City Journal um, called Henry Weston Preacher Smith, uh, Doanne Robinson, um, the Encyclopedia of South Dakota, John <clears throat> McClintock, as I mentioned before, that was uh, quoted in the um, pages of the Black Hills Visitor magazine, uh, where I got some other of my stuff as well. So. The Encyclopedia of South Dakota. Yeah, doesn't that sound interesting, right? <laughs> well, I'm just like, what could be in there? I don't know. So much about so much that has to do with South Dakota. I know so little about South Dakota. Is it the one that has Mount Rushmore in it, or is that the other one? I'm pretty I sure South Dakota. I sound pretty ignorant right now, I don't I? think it's South, South I Dakota. I think it is, but... Maybe it's North I Dakota. Shouldn't, I shouldn't have to ask that question, right? Well, I don't... I don't know. Travel. I'm not sure. I've been a broke bitch my whole life. I've I don't travel. Okay. <laughs> What's your story this week, Chloe? So. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Mike. <laughs> I just feel like, okay. Okay. 
I have a serial killer, an unsolved serial killer mystery. Um, but also the kind of question is also if these deaths are related in general. So let's talk about the redhead murders, mm. a.k.a. Or, or the Bible Belt Strangler. I kind of like that yeah. better. It's a catchier name. The Bible Belt Strangler. So <clears throat> these are obviously unsolved homicides of redheaded women between October 1978 and into presumably the the early 90s um it's possible that it occurred up until 1994 so we don't know for sure if they're related but all the all the cases are similar and they do have like a classic serial killer mo you know um so it is believed to have occurred in many states uh t- Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Um, many of the victims have never been identified, but their bodies were, all of them had were um, abandoned along the highway. That was the one consistent thing throughout. And we don't have a for sure number of victims, but it's believed to range from 6 to 11. Hmm. Um, so that kind of means like, there there are like some cases that pop up that may or may not be related to this string of things that's already happening. So from six to eleven. And I talked about the six that were on the Wikipedia page. All right. So we're gonna start with oh, by the way, many of them are Jane Doe's. Mm. So the first one is a Jane's Jane Doe, the Wetzel County, the Wetzel County, West Virginia, unidentified victim was found February 13th, 1983. So a pair of senior citizens spot what at first they think, you know, they thought was a mannequin. But as we all know, it's never a mannequin. Uh, It was the naked body of a white woman who was found alongside Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. So there was no snow on the – or no, no, there was snow on the ground, but there was just, like, frost on her body. So they think that she, like, hadn't been there Mm -hmm. for that long, Um, maybe had been placed there recently. So they also found tire tracks and footprints nearby. Suggesting that maybe she was killed in another location and then, like, dumped there. Which they um, kind of assumed that with a lot of the uh, the killings. So, the cause of death is officially unknown, but it was most likely um, asphyxiation. And here's what, she's still to this day a Jane Doe, but here's what we know about her. We know that she was born, be- or she was between the ages 35 and 45, her height was estimated at least 5'6", and her weight was 135 pounds. Her eyes were presumed to be brown, but um, post-mortem changes um, sometimes affect your eye color. Um, so they kept that in mind. She had two scars, one typical of a C-section, which is found also on two other victims. And she had another scar in her index finger. And because her legs and her underarms were shaven, they think... That um, she she probably wasn't transient or something like that. They um, yeah. So, so and 
this like goes on throughout this these like decades just like this how skeptic and um it's hard to connect these um some authorities are you know pretty skeptical as to whether her murder was related to the others but other investigators believe that she is connected so it's kind of um you'll find different opinions everywhere the next victim lisa nichols so she was found september 16th 1984 uh she was 28 years old and she was found strangled to death along interstate 40 near west memphis arkansas she was only wearing a sweater and that is a theme with a few of the other victims too that they were naked or wearing very little clothing um her body was found near a truck stop so it's presumed that she had been killed while hitchhiking uh so what she w- actually went unidentified um for a little less than a year about Jul- so she was found in September and that of 1984 and then she was identified in July 1985 um when she was ID'd through um, fingerprints. So it also took time to contact family family members about her, like just in general about her death, um, which suggests that she might have been estranged from them. And that's another common theme that um, these women were estranged from their families. The next victim was found January 1st, 1985. Um, this was a body of a woman found near Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County. Uh, down an embankment off the southbound side of Interstate 75. So I'm going to start off by saying that there were two Jane Doe's in Campbell County, and one was identified in September of 2018, and the other is still un- still unidentified. Mm-hmm. So this is the first Campbell County um, victim, and she was identified as um, uh by fin- by fingerprint as Tina Marie McKenney Farmer from Indiana. Um, she was bound and was in an advanced day of decomposition, but uh, uh, they still got enough DNA from her. And she was estimated to have been killed by strangulation and to have been dead about 72 hours. She was Caucasian, had shoulder length, curly red hair, just like a lot of the other victims had red hair. Her age was estimated to be between 17 and 25, but possibly as old as 30. So unlike the others, she was found clothed in a tan pullover and shirt and jeans. She had green eyes and freckles all over her body and various scars, including a burn mark on one arm. And she was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant. Uh, And like I said, she was identified in uh, September 6, 2018. The Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that... um, it was, in fact, Tina Farmer. And she was 21 at the time of her death. And she was last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana, accompanied by a trucker, said to be headed to Kentucky. So she went pretty far. She went from Indiana. She was from last seen in Indianapolis. And then she was found in Tennessee. Um, She was reported missing by her family at the time. But... Authorities never entered her info into the national database, and that's one of the reasons it took so long to find her. Another one of the reasons is that in this just case in general, it's hard to maneuver and gather info um, be, like because it took place in, number one, it took place in the 80s. Two, it was when police didn't really talk to each other, communicate with each other if they were across state lines, stuff like that. Um. The Campbell County, this is the second Jane Doe that was found in Campbell County. Um, 
She was found three months later in April of 1985, and she was found um, just as skeletal remains. They were found four miles outside Jellicoe, te- uh, Tennessee, near a strip mine. Her age was estimated between nineteen or nine and 15. So um, even though her, like, age range is below the median for the other victims, her, the circumstances of her death may people believe that she's connected to it as well. Um, she was presumed to have been dead between one and five years. 32 bones, including her skull, were recovered from the scene. And her skull her skull was complete um, enough to permit a facial reconstruction attempt. So there is like a photo of what she may have looked like. She was wearing a necklace and a bracelet. Oh, no, no, wait. Uh, a necklace and bracelet made of plastic buttons was found nearby, um, as well as boots with some scraps of clothing but note that they don't know for sure if these items even you know belong to her and her hair and her hair and eye color are unknown hmm. so an- we have another Jane Doe as well March 31st 1985 same year she was also just a skeleton um, or the skeletonized so she still had hair to be identified as red, she had red hair, um, was found in Tennessee in Pleasant View. So she was believed to have died three to five months before due to an unknown cause. Case is possibly linked to the redhead murders because her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24. Um, so unlike some of the other victims, she was wearing clothing, a shirt, sweater, pants, underwear. She was white between five, uh, between five, 5'2", and um, her weight could not be estimated. But she was believed to to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. One of the most interesting cases is about S.B. Pilgrim, and she was recently identified as well. Um, She was found in Knox County, Kentucky on April 1st, 1985, and she was found just a day after the Jane Doe in Pleasant View, Tennessee. So she was found stuffed inside a white refrigerator alongside Route 25 in Kentucky. Um, So the fridge had a superwoman decal on the door. She was found inside nude. She was petite and estimated between 24 to 35 years of age, um, wearing only mismatched socks and a pair of necklaces. She, too, also had a a cesarean section, and um, she was pregnant when she was killed. So... In the summer of 2017, the FBI found a match for the fingerprint that was found in the refrigerator. But the fingerprint, after they tested, they determined that it was unrelated, but it did spark new interest in the case. And then they sent out a press release. Mm -hmm. Um, The release went out in July 2017. That following October, a woman from North Carolina called saying that she thought that they had like a sketch of her and stuff. They, uh, the woman called in and she th- she um gave the tip that the woman could be her mother, S.B. Regina Black Pilgrim, who disappeared um when she was only six weeks old. So this is like her mother that she's calling in about. Mm. Um, so they got the DNA sample from the daughter and it matched. Mm. Yeah. So we now know that um this Jane Doe is S.B. Pilgrim, and she was last seen in the middle of the night at a truck stop in Kentucky seeking a ride to North Carolina. Mm. Um, A witness remembers someone calling across the CB radio offering her a ride. Oh, that's creepy. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The last victim um, 
or not. We don't we don't really right. know. But the last one I'm going to talk about, Elizabeth Lamont. She um, was found April 14th, 1985. So a couple weeks later, the body of a young uh, – she uh, was a young white female found in Greenville, Tennessee. So she was determined to have been killed three to six weeks before by severe blunt force trauma, possibly a stab wound. Um, also, her body was in an advanced stage of de- decomposition, but police were able to get her fingerprints. They got her DNA info and dental info. So like two other victims, she had approximately been six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but she had miscarried before she died. Um, Estimated to be between 14 and 20 years old, possibly as old as 25. So she was, they um, grouped her into the redhead murders because um, of where she was found and that she um, had blonde hair with red highlights. Uh, Authorities hoped that in that, like, during that time, they would identify her body through fingerprints, but they were never successful. So she was not identified as Elizabeth Lamott until November of 2018. So Elizabeth was last seen November 22nd, 1984 in Manchester, New Hampshire, where she left um, a place called the Youth Development Set- Center on a furlough to Gill Stadium. So she wasn't officially reported missing until 2017 when New Hampshire officials like got a tip about this person after a press conference. Um, she, she was found like, she was like found in some notes um, as being like the wife of, uh, I think they like got, she had like multiple names or something like that and they got her mixed up. Mm-hmm. And so she was like the missing wife of like this, this guy who came in to like report her missing, but they didn't like make the connection until later. Mm. Um, Manchester police detectives spoke with both the youth development center personnel and her family who all confirmed her disappearance. So this led them to get DNA samples from two of her brothers resulting in the identification. Mm. So investigations and the theories. So April 24th, 1985, 21 officials from Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas met with the FBI. Um, they met with FBI, FBI representatives at a six-hour summit in Tennessee to, you know, talk about this, bring up their cases, and determine if the murders were related. But the result was inconclusive. Mm-hmm. So it's believed that so many of these women are Jane Doe's because they were estranged from their family and or weren't. Were, were not even native to the states in which they were found. Um, another interesting little tidbit is that um, in the spring of 2018, a high school sociology class in El- Elizabethton. How do you say that? Elizabethton? Elizabethton? Elizabethton, Tennessee. A place <laughs> in Tennessee. <laughs> okay. Uh, began researching these redhead murders for a class project. So the students and their teacher, Alex Campbell, gathered info from multiple police agencies, and then they got advice from an FBI profiler. So what they concluded was that the killer was most likely um, a truck driver based in Knoxville, Tennessee, who lured sex workers or hitchhikers to his truck before killing them and dumping them. They made an eight-page profile with a ton of details, including that the killer might be a white male born between 1936 and 1962. So during that time, he would have been between... Ages of t- 
between the ages of 23 and 49 in um, 85. Mm-hmm. So that is wow. the Redhead Murders, That's the Bible crazy. Belt Strangler. And it seems like there's more information still coming out about it. Yep. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we talked about this before, the, like, amazing yeah. thing that is DNA and I how know. it's breakthroughs all over the place. Right. Yeah, 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 be, yeah. You know. And who knows? I mean, maybe some someday they'll find a DNA sample for these and use gene- genealogical DNA to figure out who it is, right? For sure. You know, it's it just sort of, that the whole thing just sort of changes the paradigm. But yeah, as well for victim um, uh, identification, of course, as well. So my sources were Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page Redhead Murders, and a UPI article, United Press International article by Jesse Higgins, all this interesting.com article by Gabe Pauletti, Inside Hook article by Steve Huff, and a WMUR news article by Christine DeLong Wheeler. Cool. So you want to do some weird, weird shit, shit in the, the news. news. Weird shit in the news. Weird. Weird. You go first. Okay. Mine's kind of funny. Um, So mine is from the AP uh, Oddly Enough page or whatever. And it's a squirrel initially scares, then snuggles with subway riders. What? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the story's kind of in the headline, right? But... (laughs) Essentially, this happened. It was in Boston, and it was a above ground train, uh, or the portion of it that was a, that was above ground. And uh, the squirrel just came on to the train ride, and people were very startled, and some of them got up on their seats and everything. And uh, uh, then things kind of, you know, uh, settled down, and the squirrel just got into one passenger's arms and just like laid there and was just like snuggling. And then other people were like feeding it, which probably shouldn't do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was uh, just kind of a funny little weird story. So look out for squirrels if you live in Boston, I guess, or anywhere else, because squirrels are everywhere. All right, so. Oh, is yours from Boston, too? Uh, Let me see. This is from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The title is Two Clients of Spa That Offered, quote, Vampire Facials Were Diagnosed with HIV. Oh, no. Yeah, this is crazy. So I was like, no way. You are disgusted. (laughs) Your face. Mario cannot take this shit. Um, Very squeamish. (laughs) So according to the New Mexico Department of Health, they got these injection-related procedures at, and of course now the spa is not there anymore. I would hope so. Um... But there's a great Instagram picture of fucking Kim Kardashian with this hashtag vampire facials in which plasma is 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 extracted from a client's own blood, then injected into the face. Oh, my God, your face. Terrible. <laughs> oh, that was... Just terrible. Thank um, you so much for that. Also, story. it's like bloody. Like, look, ew. It's, it's like Kim Kardashian and she's like. Tonight on Courtney and Kim Take Miami. Hashtag vampire facial. And her face is like bloody and she's like has like a blotted towel next to her and she's like has this weird smirk on her face. It's very strange. It's very, very strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're offering free HIV testing to anybody who got it. So 
Good. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so thank you're you like, thanks yeah, for that. Right. Uh, thank you. I thought for it was listening. interesting. Thank, thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, we, um, you know, thank, thanks for listening to us on Thursday. Welcome to Thursday, I guess, right? Um, and yeah. Once that's, I graduate, things will it. be better. Yeah, that's probably generally true. Like seven days, baby. Seven days. Give me a high five, team mystery. <laughs> <laughs>